Welcome to Archery Country Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to Archery Country Podcast. This is your host, Big Wade, as we are in the home studio today, the archery shop downstairs, taking care of some awesome business on a rainy day, as we need to talk to a gentleman that knows nothing but awesomeness when it comes to turning your clothing into gear. You already know what we're talking about because you've seen it on your screen, but we have Mr. Chris Derrick, who is our product line manager uh, in the whitetail setup, coming to us. How are you doing, Chris? Doing well. Thanks for having me on. Hey, absolutely. We're glad to have you, bud. And what we really wanted to have our most knowledgeable individual to talk about some of the awesome gear that we have today. We're going to talk a little bit about the brand new Equinox Guard, your guys' turkey vest, and then we're really going to dive into our whitetail clothing, uh, which is kind of your bread and butter, slash, and your, that's kind of your engineering setup. You designed it all, and you know how it all works, so we'll kind of just sit back and enjoy and, and listen to what we have to offer. Chris, so if you don't mind, give us a little background, where you're from, <clears throat> what you've been doing, how long you've been with Sitka, and uh, how the journey got started, and we'll go from there. Yeah, no, I've uh, I've been with uh, Sitka for five years. Um, I'm originally from uh, the southeast United States, so I kind of say Georgia, Alabama, South Carolina. Uh, lived a good portion of my life there, and um, I currently live in Montana. Um, I remember at one point, my I was I have always worked in an outdoor space, but my wife said, "If you could work anywhere, where would you like to work?" I was like, "I don't know." Sitka, <laughs> and she went on to the their site, and she was like, "I think they have a job that is your job." So, are you serious? Um, that's how it started. That's exactly. Yep, that's how I got here. So. How how big of a change was it going from down in Alabama to the uh, Rocky Mountains and cowboy setup in Montana? <laughs> I, I it for me, it's great. Our our family absolutely loves it here. We we never never want to leave. So it's it's a it's a great area. Montana has a lot for you. Um, all different types of hunting, new types of hunting to learn, and uh, um, everything from elk, turkeys, and you know, prong here, pronghorn, and uh, um, and then whitetails, of course, are, are all available here. <laughs> That's kind of a, an animal, you know, I went to school in Laramie, so a little bit south of where you're at, but when, you know, coming from the Midwest and you southeast, and then we talk whitetails, like that's what we kind of talk about. That's our lingo. You go out west and you say whitetails, and most of your ranchers and and farmers are like, well, that, they're nuisance. They're down by the river. If you want to go hunt them, yeah, I don't care. <laughs> do you experience that in Montana? It especially when I first got here. I do feel like that's changing a little bit uh, the dynamic of that. But yeah, I mean, I definitely had heard the term land carp um, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> when I got here. So, uh, but uh, you know, they're it's great hunting around here and the river bottoms really concentrated. It's a different style of hunting. I would say right. that where I'm from, uh, it, it is, it's just a different, different approach, big cottonwoods, lots of river bottoms where they're all concentrated. And, uh, um, you know, it's not like a big wood setup uh, that sometimes you guys get around your areas. So, yeah. And it kind of good ones here. It, there are definitely the old white rack giants as they call it. Uh, Chris, if you don't mind, for our listeners, and a lot of these listeners are already Sitka customers, but just a little history on Sitka. Um, the story kind of lays out. It's a unique story from your guys' chief and uh, everything that's kind of trickled down, and now you've dabbled. You know, Not only is it just big game and whitetail, but we also have waterfowl. 
set up and, and turkey on that. If you wouldn't mind just a little bit of history of the company you're now with. Yeah. Um, so our founder, Jonathan Hart, when they were uh, essentially starting the company, um, they were tracking some of the uh, regular hunting gear and, and on, on some big mountain hunts and were just completely miserable, uh, totally uncomfortable because the gear wasn't set up with uh, like a technical mount, mountaineering mindset. Um, so that's what they set out to change. And I think that, that it, it really has shifted the entire industry, uh, to start to, to think this way. But, um, you know, we, we essentially build all of our gear it, with that kind of same technical gear mindset. So, you know, when those guys are climbing, you know, on sheep hunts and stuff like that, they, they're actually thinking the same way a mountaineering, you know, somebody that's doing mountaineering about survival and, and those types of, and your gear can really make a difference. Um, and then, you know, from my space, if you just take that kind of same mindset, you know, we're, we usually have a short in the whitetail space, have a short, um, period of maybe exertion while we're going to and from the stand climbing, maybe setting a stand, depending on what you're doing. And then you have, you know, anywhere from a two, three hour to all day sit where you really can't move and use your, your body heat to warm you back up. So, you know, d designing with uh, trying to get the most out of the um, designs and the textiles we're using to for those stationary sets, uh, sets to to give the, the hunter the, the best experience. Because everybody can relate to being uh, miserable in the tree stand. Um, I, I, when I was young in high school, just remember looking like the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man um, and, you know, barely being able to, to move at all and still being uncomfortable. And now I can go in with, you know, a system that's half as thin, if not more, and uh, be way more comfortable. Well, and I think a lot, you know, coming from the heart of, of I say the Midwest is the heart of whitetail country, but pretty much if you say East River, um, but it's it's starting to prevail all over the United States. And sometimes if you don't have adequate gear and, and not pertaining to a bow and arrows and release and optics and all that, but the clothing that you're actually wearing is just as important or more important than the broadheads that you're shooting, if that makes sense. So I would, t I would agree with that statement. I mean, you're wearing those every single hunt, right? But the entire sit, right. Uh, as important it is, is the moment that you engage with the animal and, and release your arrow. You know, if you're, if you're uncomfortable in your mind, I know I've been in that uh, point where I just had my head leaned against the tree and just like, you know, where you're just, so uncomfortable you're not paying attention to oh what's yeah around. i know it, 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 it having the right stuff makes you a better hunter but where i was where i kind of was going with that is is there's individuals who may not hunt let's say it's freezing rain and it's 21 degrees on october 30th and the cool front is present obviously you know your cameras are popping but they they will they will skip the morning hunt to hunt the evening which if you have the right setup and if you know what you're doing you're just gonna, you know. I don't get me wrong. There's a lot of hardcore guys where that wouldn't happen if you had a shooter showing up on camera. But it, uh, I think your guys' videos, um, your knowledge, your representatives, and then you know down the line getting into like our level as far as a pro shop level, having that knowledge to, and a lot of us have learned it the hard way. You know, just just spending the money and getting the product, and then all of a sudden you're sitting there, and you're like, man, this Stratus jacket is phenomenal. Like. I've never had a wind blocker that's quiet and looks good and 
they can't see me and every you know you guys go in very in depth it's not just a what's cool and what looks good it's also there's a ton of engineering and that's where your background comes i don't know if engineering engineering is the right word correct uh, I would say, yeah, we I work with textile engineers all the time. Uh, I even work with like sound engineers, uh, you know, when we did the Fanatic Watch, you know, so yeah, engineering is exactly right. I come from a family of engineers. My dad and my brother are both engineers. So, so I got to, you know, like it's, it's, it sounds more like a dream job when if you're getting, you're trying to invent or make something better than you have and you're, you're playing with all the cool stuff. Like I've, I didn't even know that a sound engineer, you know, tie that to clothing. Why would now it makes perfect sense? You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I'm not an expert in noise, but there's people that like. If it's funny, after working with James Black at Montana State University, like I was in a in a hotel the other day and and uh, was eating breakfast, and I was looking at the light fixture, and I was like, huh, that light fixture is designed to dampen sound. Um, so it's it's funny how you you wouldn't you never see these things until you start to de- delve into it and understand like how acoustics works. But he's, he's the guy that not even only in an office space, but like maybe a shopping center or whatever you walk in, he'll there, there, he's somebody that they'll bring in and, and help control the acoustics. And if you ever walk into a place that has terrible acoustics, you start to pick up on it. And so that's what his, his job is. Yeah, they're uh, they're very very smart. I gotta ask you, how did did you when you came to Sitka? Was it automatically? Hey, Chris is gonna take care of our whitetail stuff. Is that what you came in doing? Um, did you did it just kind of shift? You said five, you know, actually, six years. Yeah, they brought me brought me in because I I had grown up, it, you know, out in the eastern United States or you know hunting whitetails my entire life. So that was my bread and butter. And then, you know, just having a technical apparel background, uh, that, you know, uh, allowed me to come in and, and apply my, my knowledge. Uh, and then we have a, just a huge, great network of, of field testers and visitors, um, that we refer to as the SWAT crew for the whitetail team. And they, you know, they can help me understand the nuances because hunting Minnesota is not the same as hunting Pennsylvania or hunting West Virginia or hunting Alabama or Florida. You know, those are, those are all different. Uh, they, they may be the same pursuit, but you can't apply always exactly what you're doing in one to the other. There are exactly. <clears throat> so we kind of, we kind of started down the road of whitetail, but I'm going to put a stop sign just for a second, if you don't mind, because what you and the team have done here we're a week away from turkey opener in minnesota south dakota our neighboring state has just opened missouri and iowa are getting on the verge with their youth season uh in a couple weeks you guys came out with a product called well equinox has been out that's the this i guess the name of a certain can or uh, clothing line that but what you guys have put into place is called guard and uh you were the chief engineer like we when we talked about your line manager for for product development where did this where did this idea come from oh i should first of all let's explain what it is for our listeners and then where did the idea because i think it's probably the single greatest thing to happen to hunting apparel since camel was invented in my mind well well i I definitely appreciate and for me it's it's a um 
yeah, it was a personal passion solving this. So the Equinox Guard system is essentially built for in between the two equinoxes when there's typically a lot of bugs, whether that be ticks, chiggers, and mosquitoes. Those are the big ones, you know, Some depending on where you are. It might be noceums as well, uh, which are midges. Um, but, you know, it was all designed to basically limit contact with those, but uh, with those types of insects and arachnids, uh, but then also um, allow to keep you comfortable. So, you know, I, I keep bees. It's not like I do get stung every so often. It's not about like 100%. It is about reasonable protection with comfort. And, and that's finding that right balance. But like I said, it's a personal passion for me. Almost everybody that I know either has had somebody that, they are in close contact with like a family member that has had maybe a tick-borne illness uh, or has had it themselves. So my own daughter had Lyme disease. Um, she caught, contracted Lyme disease when we lived in South Carolina. I worked with Dr. Carl Miller at UGA. He has had two tick-borne illnesses. I've got people in the office that tell their stories. I was telling this at a event the other day talking about this, and a guy came up in the crowd and was like, I have alpha gal. I can no longer eat red meat um, due to a tick bite. So, you know, it's that for a hunter is the worst thing in the world. So trying to solve that uh, was really a, a personal passion for me because I'll never see, you know, the the uh, number of illnesses we're preventing. But I, I can tell you I've been wearing this for three years to the field test process, and I've had zero ticks. And I'm a guy that would pull several off of me a year. That's uh, and, and I'm sorry to hear about your daughter. I hope everything's going good there. But it, it is true. We all we all know somebody at the pro shop. Uh, there was a Matthews pro shooter that shot target archery and had nothing to do with hunting. And then there's also a gentleman that uh, we know very well, and it 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 pretty much ruined their life uh, as far as the outdoors and what they could and couldn't do. Now they've they're both survivors, uh, but there's some lasting effects from it. So it's something to take very seriously. I, I take, uh, yeah, I agree with you 100%. And, you know, if you look at some, there's some great information out. Like if you just Google CDC tick-borne illness, uh, there's, there's a whole website that CDC has set up that, that talks about different types of illnesses and what they are, symptoms, which ticks are in your region. Uh, but you know, there's, there there may only be a hundred and something thousand cases reported, but they think that it's completely underreported. So we think that there may be upwards between 300,000 and 600,000 tick-borne illnesses a year. So that's like essentially a half a million cases a year in the United States. That's, that's a, that's a big problem. Um, and so it, it, the way that this Equinox guard system is that it essentially uses two means to be able to protect you. One is mechanical. Uh, that's, hey, stop the tick or stop the mosquito from contacting my body. The second portion of that is permethrin-based, but it's not like a spray-on uh, permethrin. It is infused into the actual garment um, for the lifetime of the garment. So it's, it's a process, special process that Insect Shield uses it doesn't go through the fabric form you can't do this in fabric form and have it work you have to take the finished garment uh put it through this extremely high temperature process and then when it comes out you know they say 75 washes um is what the uh, efficacy rate they test to that's about a lifetime of the garment you know 
depending on how many times you wash a year, that's a long, long time. Right. Uh, but it, it, it has to work through that number of washes. Um, and that's why it's extremely safe um, because uh, it, it is the lowest level of, uh, that's regulated by the EPA. I put on a baby onesie because you never have to retreat again. So this isn't something you're needing to spray on, throw in your own washer. It is in the garment for the lifetime of the garment. And it's a, it's a pretty big deal because all of us before this was, you know, this came out just a little bit ago, but we've, we've always had the sprays, right? The, even to the basis of just mosquito repellent, which it just smells different all in my mind, but there are, there are some products that seem to work. And you and I were talking off air that there are certain levels that the spray is versus the stuff that's actually, you know, heat treated and put in your garment. But it's something that it's something that works, and you can see it works, and it's been engineered. And is it so? I got to ask you on as far as the Sitka line, uh, we say Equinox Guard. That right now we're pushing the subalpine, the turkey hunters. It's going to be in a few different patterns. Am I correct? Yes, it will be in elevated to it, it, uh, or it's already in elevated to uh, which for early season whitetail and subalpine and timber. So. And, and I say this isn't just turkey. Turkey is what we're all thinking about now, right? It's right. Spring. Yep. Um, but spring bear, um, you know, moose, early teal, uh, you know, all of those uh, types of hunting um, are typically done in the warm periods. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that, that's, the, that's the patterns available. And, and the way that I mentioned, like, uh, just to go back to a little bit about how the mechanical and chemical work together, um, when you look at the pant, for example, everything centered around the pant, I think about ticks and chiggers, right? Yep. Because they're typically going to brush as you walk by, fall off a blade of grass, fall off a leaf, land on your, your pants, and they're typically going to crawl uh, up the hem of your pant, uh, uh, under the, un, like along your boot, or they're going to crawl up along your waistline. So at the hem of the pant, we have a very, very lightweight internal gaiter, uh, if you use this properly, it, you are very, very well protected, um, and you roll your stock. So you put on your pants, you put your stock over the gator. Tick comes in there, uh, runs into that internal gator uh, or the chigger, and then the permethrin starts to do its work. So there's a drop-away test that basically you measure how long it takes for them to fall off. So the idea behind that is the mechanical stops them from ever reaching your skin, permethrin does its thing they fall off you don't bring them home put them in your hamper bring them into your home to your family uh that's how it works on the pant and and as you move up from your pant like we're saying no you know skin exposed uh your waistline we've talked about that a little bit on the actual hoodie the is it called a hoodie yeah it is the so it is a pant uh, a glove and a hoodie Um, and you're exactly right. Uh, just, it's built with a very, very long tail, um, so that you can tuck it in. I would encourage people to always tuck in. It seems so simple, but you wouldn't believe how many people don't do this. Right. You just tuck that in again, the the tick is going to crawl up and instead be able to enter under your, um, and chiggers, you, you know, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to getting those. They typically hit your waistline. Uh, will run into uh, into the the hoodie and then again won't be able to get through and then that hoodie is developed with an extremely high gauge knit um, so 
so these these are this is netted on a very specialized machine. Um, there's not a whole lot of machines that can do this in the world. We had to actually go and uh, I worked with our textile engineer Christina Rappa, uh, and we were we were trying to find a extremely high gauge knitter uh, to be able to develop this textile, and then that had the right properties. And then we partnered with a third party lab that's basically an insect testing facility. So if you wanted to do, you know, any, any, uh, treatments or even people, you know, companies that release mouse traps, they, they take send them to this company for testing. And we developed the test with them where it's a heated blood membrane. And what we do is we take it, the heated blood, we heat it, it gets heated up in a, in an instrument. And then you apply different types of textile to the bottom of that heated blood membrane within it. There's a cage with 20, 80s Egypti female mosquitoes. The females are all that are feeding on you. The males don't. Um, and they go in there. You release them in there for 20 minutes. And then afterwards, you t- pull the cage out. You put it in a freezer. Uh, that makes the mosquitoes fall down. Uh, then you pull them out, and you essentially, it's super simple. You just squish them. And if they turn red, they, they fed. And if they didn't, then if they're just black, um, then we know they didn't feed. So we can actually start to figure out which which textiles have mechanical properties that prevent feedings. So this, you know, so if the mosquito lands on you, they'll start searching on you with their proboscis trying to pierce, and they have a very difficult time getting through it. Um, and it and it's extremely lightweight, super thin, and that's the idea about comfort when it's hot. Because there's other methods out there. You can wear some solutions that are like a 3D mesh. Well it's very hard to shoot a bow with those, those <laughs> yeah. thick gloves on and, and that setup. Uh, you can put DEET. We all know the problem with DEET. Um, you can use um, spray-on repellents that have scent. Uh, Thermosol, I think, is a great product, but it does have a scent from a whitetail standpoint. Yep. And then there's some where you can wear double layers, but who wants to wear double layers uh, when it's 95 degrees outside? So <clears throat> this really fine strikes the right balance between reasonable protection and comfort, I say. And what we'll do in the bottom of this podcast or down in our links, we're actually going to tie your video because it's a very, you guys explain it and you actually have video of how this machine works and the different textiles and the mosquitoes. And then it shows the process of, you know, your, your product uh, or control, figuring out which mosquitoes fed and which didn't. But what I, something that was intriguing to me, yes, Turkey, Obviously, early season bear, um, you know, we also talk about your, your early season whitetail. But something that I, I don't know has been mentioned, and I'm going to do it, is take, so I have the Equinox Guard, you know, set up for turkey hunting. I'm going to do that. But when it comes time to set my trail cameras, and it's July, or setting some tree stands and some new sets, that's when the heart of, and I'm, I'm talking ticks here in minnesota and mosquitoes as well but you, you don't want to go out there with a pair of sitka shorts and a t-shirt a white t-shirt let alone and i know it's hot and all that but if you if you can use this in different situations you're protecting yourself year round not just when you're sitting in the stand or in the ground blind or you know in a in a bush somewhere trying to to hide from it you can utilize this when you're anytime that you're out there Absolutely. As, as soon as, you know, as soon as it's warm and walking in the woods, I, I typically will, will put it on. And, and for me, it's just, I don't want to wind up 
with it because it's, it's kind of a hidden thing, right? And then there's mm-hmm. some of the viruses that, that ticks out, you know, they can infect you with a bacterial uh, issue. Uh, but then there's also some other ones um, that are viral based that they're, they don't take very long to uh, transmit them through your body. So like Lyme disease, for example, we say like 24 or 48 hours if the tick stays on you, you know, then, then you have a much greater chance, but there are certain uh, illnesses that are viral that, um, you know, that that's very, very quick that, that you could wind up with that, that disease. And you guys did a phenomenal job on the, the gloves. Uh, and correct me if I'm wrong or any time or explain the gloves, but on the backside where you're, when I say the backside of your palm, if you hold both your hands up, the backside, you know, looking down, that's where a majority of things are exposed for mosquitoes. And that, and then the inside, you still made it so that we can grip. Um, the Equinox Guard glove is fingerless on the pointer and the thumb for your striker, your trigger, or, you know, but you can hide that stuff if you, if you get into a batch of bad mosquitoes, but you can't move because that gobbler's there, the deer is, you know, within that within the kill zone and you need to, you need to be motionless. You have protection on some of the most exposed extremities. Yeah. And you're exactly right. The back of the hands typically were taking mosquito bites. And I did a lot of field testing while using the, the gloves, um, while whitetail hunting. So, and I said a lot of stands, um, especially like saddle, saddle guys that are, um, hunting, hunting with saddles these days, you know, we're hanging sticks quite often. Um, and you know, you're reaching around the tree, your fingertips are hitting the tree. And then you're also, we're all climbing up. We're screwing in a, usually a hook into the tree, right. To hang your pack on that type of stuff. And it's usually your fingertips that take the most abrasion. Uh, I found in the gloves though, so we actually use in the foreshads, which are in between your fingers and then on your fingertips and like above your fingernails is all that nylon cordura material. Uh, and so that's all really built around abrasion protection. Um, because if you just take a knit, for example, and run it over your fingertips, uh, it, it is going to start to show wear. Um, right. so we, we mapped in a lot of different textiles to, to get the, uh, the, the longest life out of the gloves. Cause gloves are something I go through probably most often ever. I think most hunters go through gloves more often than anything else, uh, from a wear and tear mm-hmm. standpoint. Absolutely, and and so we have the Equinox Guard pant, the hoodie, and the gloves. And along with those lines, uh, we you know you guys have had very good success in your packs. Um, watch some of your videos on your whitetail packs, but you are also in combination with some others on your guys' new turkey vest. Yeah, so my uh, counterpart at work uh, led the development. I did the Equinox Guard. Um, my counterpart. Uh, uh, Jim Savier is a, he's a great turkey hunter, a great turkey caller. Um, and, uh, he worked on the, uh, Equinox vest, uh, and it's a, a great running gun style vest, uh, seat rolls right up against the lumbar of your back. So you can't even feel it. I, I'm sure anyone listening that has ever turkey hunted has had those little magnet flip up seats and they're just like <laughs> clunk, 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 clunk on the back of your hamstrings as you run in. Um, this one's very fast, uh, to deploy, uh, it takes a little, I would watch his video on how to, how to use the seat. Um, cause it's not intuitive, but once you get it, you're like, holy smokes, this is great. Right. And then, um, the great magnetic pouch for your, your pot calls, um, uh, you know, water protection for your strikers, which is 
critical uh, water protection for your box call on your chest. And it's all just laid out, like even the, the pots on usually your left side, because uh, that's you, most most hunters hold the pot with their left hand and the striker with their right. So it's actually laid out so you, you don't have to slip if you grab grab the two. Yeah, and you so, can you can tell that somebody who is, you know, I have right behind me in the shop here, I have five turkey vests from when I started 20-some years ago. Back when it was run and gun, and <clears throat> yes, some of it was with a shotgun, but it, it's, you know, I've, I've even had it to the point where you sit down and you're in a, a situation and all of a sudden your box call goes, or yep. in, in a situation where you, you know, you're looking for your, your pick and your pot and your striker and, and everything. The moment I knew it was going to be phenomenal, but I didn't know it was going to be as useful until we got it in the shop and I tried it on. And I'm a big guy, and you guys did it right. You sized it from small to double XL. Basically, if you can use your thumb and your in your forefinger, you can change the size of that. Everything is super adjustable. If you you know if we're early season here, and you got a little bit bigger jacket on, you just kind of make your vest fit. If it, we get into when it's going to be pretty hot here in a couple of weeks, <clears throat> you can wear just that Equinox hoodie, and it'll fit. And one thing that we said in our video is it's more like a very lightweight pack versus a big huge vest and i think that's that's that that's huge and i've never ever been able to have uh, a camel pack water reservoir and you don't even think about it because usually you're turkey hunting you know let's face it you go out in the morning maybe if you have to sit an afternoon set you're not really worried about it but now you have the capability you don't have to have a water bottle that's scrunching in your side pocket or in the back pouch making noise and turkeys not only are they very visual but also any little thing can upset them you know absolutely they their their vision is very very cute on on movement um so uh you know that's that's something with them they they actually have a, a excellent ability to, um, perceive movement, uh, way better than us. Um, and so, uh, uh, their clarity may not be the same, uh, as ours, but, uh, once you move, they, they do, they gain their clarity, uh, very, very quickly. So, you know, all of those things just laid out again, like you were saying, once you start to use the hydration pack, you're like, why on earth <laughs> did I do anything different? Um, so, you know, just laying everything out, uh, where where you you can run and gun you can crawl you can do all the things that you like to do uh that because turkeys never wind up the way you expect coming uh expect them to come i just the other day i uh, uh two days ago i was down in georgia and we were we were hunting near the opener for that birds fly down we had set up we thought they were just gonna hook up in a road into the field of course they didn't do that they kind of scooped behind us got in uh where there's some thick stuff behind us and of course we're we're having to flip around at the last minute to try and get set up for a shot so they, they have an uncanny ability to go expect not where you expect them to go <clears throat> and as we were talking about were you successful on that turkey hunt no we uh unfortunately the we had some pretty bad storms that came through georgia this weekend and uh uh, there was tornadoes all to the area. Uh, they were, they were quiet on the second day. Uh, so, uh, it was only a quick two day hunt, but, uh, yeah, we weren't able to close the deal there, but I did, it was lucky enough to get to an off deal uh, a couple of weeks ago in Florida. So, uh, won't be a single 
won't be a single season grand slam for me, but because uh, <laughs> yeah. I'll be on the Merriam's next year. So I hear you. Um, speaking of, we dabbled a little bit about like you know tree stand setup and and big trail cameras. Some of you guys in the western states don't get to utilize them. Not all western states, but some. But uh, is there anything coming out or is there some stuff when we talk about abrasion resistance, you know, the back 40 pant comes right into my mind, but is there insect shield on some other of your solid wares? Uh, there are a few items in the line if they're built for outside that have um, the, the hanger pant isn't going to be, it, it, I, I believe it may be going away just now for uh, since the Equinox card is coming in, but it's, you know, built around tree stands, um, the Henley that goes along with that. So periodically if there's, um, uh, gear that is coming out that is meant to be used during that season, we, we may or, uh, put insect shield in that, in the everyday line as we, as we go through. Um, but, uh, yeah, the Equinox guard is, is really the one that I've been focused on from a, from a technical end use standpoint. And I thank you uh, again. Congratulations on the Equinox Guard and the Turkey Vest. Uh, been very well received by all of our customers. And again, there's still plenty of time. Um, <clears throat> as I'm looking outside right now, it's raining slash snowing. So we're not looking at warm weather, but we're, we're getting there. Uh, just check, check it out at the shops. I encourage you to watch the videos uh, that, you, that uh, Sitka has released. You guys have done a great job kind of covering everything. In this day and age, people are social media freaks, and there's a lot, there's a wealth of information for free. You know, you don't have to talk to somebody. You can watch it, and then if you do have questions, we're just a phone call or a shop away from from trying the product on, fitting the right size. And I think we're going to kind of graduate into, like we said before, your bread and butter, the whitetail line. Uh, you guys have a very, very extensive line of big game, if you wouldn't mind, when people come in and we see it on bows and we see it on the camel, we, we only carry the subalpine camel pattern and then also the elevated two optifade from Sitka. But you guys have some waterfall on that. But if you wouldn't mind taking the big game and the, and the elevated two and kind of dissecting how the patterns were invented. It's not just a color concept that you threw together. There's actually ingenuity and engineering behind it. Yeah, they, uh, um, you know, the original option fade development was around before my time, but it was, it was more or less developed around like, uh, where is it? What is it concept? So, you know, the animals trying to identify, uh, you know, uh, where, you know, what, what's there, is it a threat? And, and that's essentially what the disruptions based on, uh, trying to do is, is break up your outline, uh, through the use of micro and macro patterns. Um, and, you know, uh, essentially, um, matching the shading to the, uh, environmental aspect of what's out there and what you typically might face in, in a pursuit. So when you look at, you know, the big game, we're looking at like open country, for example, is a, like a long distance, you know, uh, uh, Western based hunts, um, you know, uh, maybe with subalpine getting a little bit more close into closer engagement. Uh, and, you know, in subalpine, so below the tree line environment, um, and then elevated two is really designed with, uh, a deer looking up, um, with, a with, a uh, like a high luminescence, uh, background, 
uh, into uh, into where the the hunter's sitting uh, and and that type of engagement engagement. So usually a hunter in a tree stand, uh, usually uh, inside forty yards. And with that in mind, a lot of people will come in. <clears throat> so the human eye, when you when you look at, we have to appeal to the human eye, especially as a consumer, right? So a lot of guys will come in now that they have the education and they know that the, the Sitka stuff is actually gear and they can utilize it in different situations. Is there is there a big difference? Guys like to match their surroundings. And early season here, we still have the foliage is green and everything is really kind of close-knit quarters. Can you can you wear a subalpine in a tree stand? You know, on a field edge, is it is it detrimental? Is there anything wrong with an elevated two? When it you know to the human eye, it looks kind of white with grays, and and some blacks in the digital effect of that. Are you gonna go wrong, or is it okay to wear the elevated two any time that you're deer hunting? Uh, I, I mean, I typically will roll to elevated two. I, I think you know. Uh, from a consumer standpoint or a hunter standpoint, I understand the uh, desire to match your, your background. The one thing is, is deer don't see in the same way that we do. Um, it, you know, they view the world in a whole different way. You know, we, we are looking at a point in, um, and, and like we have a singular point that so we focus on like there's a stick, there's a twig, that that's how we typically look because we have a single focus point. They're watching the world going around them, if that makes sense. Um, so they can they can see it in a different way, and they have like a, a horizontal band for the retina. So basically, they can that their whole focal point is different than ours. They they don't they they kind of see in a um, I, they, they would need seeing eyeglasses if if the regular world if they were looking and standing at a uh, an, an immovable object, object. So if they're they're looking at something, uh, they they don't get the same clarity that you. That's why they're moving their head around, right? They're trying to move you across the retinal band uh, to be able to get clarity. Uh, so when you when you see a deer doing that, they they can't focus in the same way you do. That's why they're moving their head, um, and but their their ability to process movement is way better than ours. So I I think a lot of people will focus. Uh, maybe too much on on uh, those aspects of of uh, like I need to exactly match my environment. Um, you know, uh, I think you know the brightness can definitely uh, play a role. But um, you know, I, I don't think you're gonna if you wind up in either case, you're not gonna wind up in a in a terrible situation. Uh, it's, uh, there's a lot to do with patterns and the way those are set up. So, and I'm glad that you laid that out. Uh, sometimes that's the hardest sales pitch. You know, because when you look at the beautiful display on the showroom floor or you're watching videos, but in the field, you have to put yourself in a deer's position, which is very, very hard to do because you just explained why. And as we talk your whitetail setups, <clears throat> we could, we could, I could have you just go through all of the stuff in the whitetail category from Sitka and we'd be here for the next hour and a half. But what I would rather do from the expert, from the guy who designed all of these with your team, early season, whitetail, let's just say September 1st, from September 1st to October 15th in that genre or that area of time, 
what would you be outfitting with? What is in your arsenal for clothing? And then the, the next step will go from October 15th through the rut to like November 15th and then late season. If you don't mind, kind of let's start with early season. I booked a whitetail hunt or I'm in my home state, rather be southeast or Pennsylvania, Minnesota, Montana, wherever it may be. What is in your pack? What are you bringing? Are you taking out of your truck? What do you have for clothing? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'll, I'll try and give people a couple of different options uh, depending on, you know, you you know where you hunt best and, and what's most important to you. Um, from, from a standpoint of like an early season setup, I, I'll typically roll into the Equinox Guard now that that's out. Uh, that's what I've been using for the past couple of years. Um, and so that's a real good setup if I'm going to be in a buggy, buggy environment. And I know you, everybody in Minnesota can relate to this. Um, you know, if you're going to be in those, those conditions, uh, I'll run with the Equinox guard system. Uh, but you do have another choice. Let's say that's not the way you want to go. You could go with the regular Equinox pants, um, and, or, you know, and, and set it up where, uh, you, you have like a different style of pant that maybe is a little bit heavier. Uh, you're okay with, um, you know, maybe you start more in the mild conditions where it's not quite as hot. Uh, that's another setup you can run. And, you know, if, if moisture management is extremely important to you, like a core lightweight hoodie. So those would be your choice, either Equinox Guard or I would say regular Equinox pant with a core lightweight hoodie um, are really good choices. And then um, with each one of those, uh, there are going to be, especially in Minnesota, Montana, where I am, uh, even in the earlier season, there's going to be some cooler nights. And so I'll have a light insulation piece uh, that goes along, um, with my, my setup. That's like a light puffy of some, some kind. Um, and that's a, a great setup just to be able to add that, uh, either in, in the morning when you first get up in your sand, just to, to help take off some of the bite or later on in the evening as the sun sets, uh, just to add a little bit of inflation protection. And the gloves, um, on the Equinox hoodie, or in the hoodie, a lot of a lot of times, I never wore a face mask ever, uh, up until Sitka. You know, I my first purchase was a Fanatic hoodie, and it was a little bit warm for early early season. But like you're saying, if you're glassing in the morning, sitting up on the ridge, hunting the evenings, uh, or if you then you get to your evenings and the sun goes down and the bite comes on just a little bit for the chill, having the face mask incorporated into the hood uh is is a huge thing yeah and it's it, it's just nice from a, a little bit of extra concealment too is just to be able to throw that up on your face too when 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 uh when an animal's approaching is to pull it up um and so you know you don't have to add another piece uh it's kind of built all right in um so yeah, I think those things are, are great. Um, and then as things start to cool, I start thinking about how I'm going to add windstopper and I try and build everything into my kit. So I'm going to need to know, uh, what's going to get me through the rest of the season. So a lot of people don't think about this, but I kind of will set things up with number of hoods. I'll max my hoods out at two. Like I can handle a core lightweight hoodie, uh, with maybe a a Stratus jacket that has a hood, but I wouldn't want like a core lightweight hoodie, fanatic hoodie, uh, Stratus with a hood, you know, that's just too many hoods. Right, so there's, right. we have options in all of our layers. So you can, you can get 
a, sim- a similar build and maybe a product form, but without a hood. So you can build the system that's right for you. Um, that That's one of the things that a lot of people maybe aren't thinking about, but they, they should going into is how, how are you going to stack these layers? And then you're not, you're not using a base layer at this moment in time, correct? Well, uh, essentially, uh, the core lightweight hoodie, I'll run the same base layer all season. Okay. Um, usually I will set up with a lightweight, the lightest weight base layer that I can for the entire season. So when it's, when it's late season, I'm hunting food sources, I'm actually running an extremely lightweight base layer next to my skin. And that's the whole point of that is to get moisture off of your skin. So a lot of people think, oh, it's cold. I, I'm not going to use my uh, my foundational layer. But that's the whole point. We're talking about building a foundation. Your base layer is the foundation of your house. And then all the other elements of your layering system are being built on top of that. So running a lightweight synthetic base layer, that same core lightweight hoodie, for example, that you started with in the early season, if you put that into your kit, you should be running that um, all the way into the late season as well as your foundation of your layers. And I really like the word you used, layering system. Uh, It's a system. We go back to turning clothing into gear. Because comfort, if if you've never been a person who layers, if you're a person who wears your your barn hoodie and then throw on a, a big, huge jacket, and when you get to the blind or the stand, you're sweating, and then everything's uncomfortable an hour into the sit, the system, the layering system, if you break it down, it, it doesn't take very much to learn it. And then you have that ability to go forth. As we step into that October 15th, you know, the dreaded air quotes I'm making lull, um, going into November, getting into that rut, you're going to start, you're going to get into your morning sits and your evening sits and, and into November, your all day sits what do we jump up to next? What are you still, we still have our layering system. We're always going to have our layering system, our base layers, but what are we graduating to next? Yeah. So let's, let's say I've got my, um, lightweight, uh, base layer, my synthetic base layer. Um, and then, uh, I've got that light puffy I mentioned before. The next piece that I'm going to typically add into my kit is the stratus, um, which is a, micro fleece space or a, you know a light fleece space with a, a Gore-Tex wooden stopper laminate inside of it which is really breathable uh, it's all designed about stopping or cutting the wind and so I'll typically take a wind stopper jacket or a vest depending on which you prefer um, and that will go on over that puffy or it will just go on over my lightweight base layer so let's let's say it's like 50 degrees you know, or in the upper forties, maybe I don't need the puppy and I can, I can adjust and use that, that stratus directly over my base layer, or if it's a little chillier or if I'm a little cold natured, depending on how your body chemistry is made up, I can put that puppy on and add the wind stopper on top of that. Uh, and so I, I can, um, essentially adjust as I need to with the weather conditions. Um, and then for my bottom, Again, I'll have like a lightweight base layer of some kind. Uh, you know, I might have that uh, Equinox pant on that I walked into the stand with. Um, if, it, if it's just mild conditions, uh, I can either add or remove to that. With a bib is typically what I prefer. Some people prefer a pant, like a Stratus pant, which is the same setup as the, the, the top, but it's just in a pant or a bib form. The reason I like to use bibs 
is because I, uh, first of all, can adjust really easy in the stand. If I need to pull the whole bib off, I don't have to take off my footwear. I can bend on the side legs, all of those things. So I'll, I'll typically go with a bib. And then that way I can walk into my stand venting and dumping heat on the side because I, I typically commit to my bottom layer for the hunt. Um, and usually I'll, I'll vent on the way in or out. Uh, and, and then my top is the lightest weight that I can possibly stand going. So if I get out of the truck and I'm, I'm kind of feeling that cold in my bite, uh, the bite that comes from the cold, uh, going, uh, when I get first out of the truck, I'm okay with that because I know I'm going to be moving and then I'll add my insulation when I get, uh, either to the base of the tree or up in the tree. And then as we, uh, you know, you haven't filled that tag or your shooter has not came by, uh, yet close enough for you. The, uh, I used to dread late season, but late season can be one of the most productive times, especially if you have a food source. I'm a very big fan of Fanatic. Um, the jacket, the vest, uh, you know, the bibs, if, if it's extremely cold and I'm not in a box blind and I'm sitting in a tree stand, Let's talk a little late season because now we really we really dive into what do we need for a base layer and and tying it to what are you actually using for your outer layer. Yeah, so um, let's say that I built that system up um, all, already. You know, I've got my lightweight foundation, I got my puffy, I got my stratus. You have a couple of options going into late season. Let's say you're not super cold natured. Um, you could take the fanatic vest, for example and put it on over that Stratus jacket, just over your core. It puts a hand muff in to the jacket. So the reason it has that kind of weird cross zip is so that the hand muff is built right into the, into the outerwear piece. Um, and so you can put your hands in there. Um, so that's, that's a system that would maybe get you down into some fairly, fairly cold conditions. If you had, uh, you know, some insulation or some, you know, something like the Fanatic hoodie and maybe even the puffy on that you know, the stress jacket and then adding that on the, uh, the fanatic vest on the outside, that may be enough to get used to the system or through the entire season. Um, but you guys deal with some extremely cold sub-zero temperatures. Um, and so that's where the, the fanatic or in the incinerator comes in. Uh, the fanatic is available in a jacket, uh, and then it's also available on a bib. Um, they, it's, and I usually tell people, depending on um, what is most important to them, that's how they should decide between the fanatic or the incinerator. So if ultra quiet, super warm and frigid conditions is important to you and maybe late season archery is your setup, uh, the fanatic is where I typically tell people to go. Uh, most Midwestern hunters, I typically guide in the direction of the fanatic system. Um, but if you're dealing with like a lot of wet, conditions like a wet frigid conditions uh the incinerator is a great setup because it's the difference between the two is fanatic is wind stopper with insulation built in um and then the incinerator is a true cortex rain gear so that's a you know it's it's for you know and a lot of times I typically drive Southern hunters into the incinerator system uh right. because uh, they're dealing with like 28 32, 33 degrees, rain, sleet, snow mixes, whereas in the Midwest, we typically are dealing with a dry snow 
you know, where it can build up on the outside of your shell uh, or some sleeting rains that aren't like typically all day sleeting rains that you'd be wearing those for. Absolutely. And it brings us into uh, the, the Fanatic, I think, is one of the most well-engineered piece of equipment that you can have, uh, especially for a very avid archer. <clears throat> the jacket, the cross zip, having the ability for a call holder, it fits good with my Sitka Bino harness because my muff is underneath of that even in a sitting situation. I can put three or four hot hands in that muff and still wear you know, a light glove rather be the new guard or the, you know, when it's super cold, I don't really have to worry a lot about insects, but just having a glove that I can still use my fingers be agility wise when it comes to it, pushing the rangefinder button, you know, focusing the binoculars. I don't have to have a big, huge mitt, which they do make a phenomenal, it's an incinerator mitt, which you can take the muff off and your fingers are, it's a very light um, piece of material over your fingers, but you have that ability. But the Fanatic, jacket hands down like you said super super quiet we have the ability built in if you're a right-handed shooter you know on your left arm the the material switches so it's not the the fuzzy it's uh made for your string so it's not going to slap it's not going to stick out and then like on the actual bib there's different different uh, i don't want to say different materials because i don't know if that's right but it's the way that it's produced you have your warmth where you have your warmth all the way through, but you also have materials for burrs, cockaburrs going through, you know, some brush situations where things are quieter. Absolutely. And, and from the original fanatic point, one of the first things that when I came to Sitka, started asking people and the number one thing they wanted to solve uh, in the fanatic system was the burr pickup. So we mapped uh, a certain type of textile over the front leg, um, into the crotch panels, um, along the hem of the jacket. Those are areas that you typically pick up burrs, uh, is like under the hem of your jacket or along the front of your legs to make them easier to pluck off. Um, you know, so I, I learned that very quickly when I, when, uh, when I was using the systems, uh, you know, I would, uh, pay, I had very young kids at the time, so I'd pay them five cents a burr to pluck <laughs> yeah. them off. And, uh, I, I quickly realized I was paying out a lot of money. Um, to, uh, to, to my kids <laughs> to pluck birds off for me, but they, they would sit there for hours to do that. So um, didn't want everybody else to have to deal with that. So that's why we solved that. It was selfish. I, I'm not going to lie. No, it's, it's perfect. And Chris, this brings up a great point because we kind of dabbled on every, every item that we would use, what you use, what I use. But uh, at Archery Country Podcast, we have what we call the Pro Shop Tech Tip of the Week. So we're going to take just a moment of your time and explain our tech tip of the week. And now it's time for this week's Archery Country Pro Tech Tip. All right, Chris, when it comes to whitetails, <clears throat> we try to fool their sight. We try to be extremely quiet. Some things that we have to be very adamant on at least i'm very adamant on i think you are too is what we call scent and there's no way i don't care what material you've had in the past if you're not adamant and you're not taking care of your clothing and and yourself and washing down things you can ruin a hunt in a matter of seconds give us your tech tip for washing sitka clothing 
Yeah, uh, absolutely. That's one of the biggest questions I get is uh, how do I care for my sick gear? Because people are obviously uh, investing quite a bit of money into their systems and they want to take care of it. Um, the one thing I would say is is don't be afraid of washing uh, uh, Gore-Tex gear, for example. Uh, that's actually good for it. Um, you know, to be able to, to clean it out, being able to dry it hot, can recharge the DWR. Um, my essentially setup is at the start of the season, I will take uh, my gear, I'll pre-wash it, you know, I may put it in like a lemon shield bath or something like that, and then, uh, you know, hang it and dry it, and then, um, you know, run it through the dryer uh, to, to be able to finish out the drying process. And, uh, and then typically my stuff that I'm wearing as a base layer throughout the season, I'm washing that more often. So things that are near my skin, I wash uh, very, very, very often. Uh, the, as I go further away from my skin, I, I, I uh, wash them less often, and I'll typically come from in a hunt, throw them in my ozone closet, and then air them out afterwards. Uh, and I'm just doing that. So all of the gear uh, that's you know 2018 and newer, uh, part of our standard process is going through an ozone bath. Um, just to make sure, because there there are some original materials that may be used in elastics on our, our suspenders that, that that ozone wasn't friendly to because they're natural uh, natural rubber. Um, so that's what we do. So essentially, anything that gets wet, you know, really muddy or bloody uh, as my outerwear, that's typically when I go through and wash it and dry it. Otherwise, I typically just uh, dry wash it. Uh, and, and that's how I care for my gear throughout the season. So maybe my outerwear gear is only getting washed once or twice a season, but my um, base layers might get washed, you know, 15 times. So that's just a big difference. And what do we, when, when we say it as a sales pitch or when we watch it on, on any videos and people say the word polygene or antimicrobial, what exactly does that mean on our base layers next to the skin? What is, what is that doing for us? So polygene is essentially the, to stop odor build up. So if you take uh, synthetic materials, uh, they are um, uh, known for uh, getting a, a build up or a scent to them. And polygene, we, we kind of look at like little Pac-Mans, if you say that. So the, the, the smell or the, the molecules that are doing that, they're going through and kind of munching those and keeping the odor profile down so that it doesn't build up in your gear. So when you wash it out, wash it out, uh, you can flush all that away. Uh, it's mainly about a, you know, stopping an old odor, odor buildup on your gear over time. And you guys heard it from the boss himself. It's okay to wash your gear and wash your base layers <clears throat> quite a few times during the season, especially if you're wearing it a lot and sweat. I'm here to tell you as a whitetail enthusiast, you're not going to be able to eliminate all orders <clears throat> all the time, but you can take practices to almost fool them most of the time. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And, and I would say also just some people out there too, that maybe are washing some of your bulkier gear or your, your bulkier outer layers. I would suggest uh, that you zip up like the pant legs on doing that. So if you've got an agitating washer, for example, think of this, uh, your agitating washer has uh, a piece that's, that's agitating the gear inside of those. And let's say one portion of your bib leg gets pulled in one direction and the other portion of your bib leg gets pulled in another direction. Uh, all of that pressure gets put on your zipper heads. 
And that's where I typically see when people are popping zipper heads is because they're running it through their washer. Uh, and then, so when you go through, dry it, you know, do it uh, essentially outside and then turn it inside out and, and dry it that way as well. Uh, and so that's a really good way uh, to be able to run your system, but where your, 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 uh, your washer won't wind up um, grabbing a zipper head and busting it, which you can send it in for repair, but who wants to do that in the middle of the right. season? No, I love it. And, and you said it, uh, ozone safe. We can put it in our ozone bags or ozone closets, or if you have an uh, ozone machine up above you in the tree stand, everything is completely good. It's going to work. I, I recommend it. <clears throat> Man, I got to tell you, Chris, this is uh, an eye-opening experience. I'm glad we've been trying to get you on a podcast. You've been extremely busy with the release and everything going on there. But this gives a little bit more insight for guys that may be guys and gals. Uh, they, they do have youth, women's, and men's sizing. Um, any tips on if you are sizing? It's more of a some, – some items are a sport fit um, you designed it that way is the online online. You can get into their sizing charts and it lays everything down just a few measurements and you'll have it. What are, what are you telling guys or, you know, you run into individuals who have questions on the sizing? Uh, yeah, I would definitely encourage people to look at the sizing charts to get a better idea. Um, coming into the shop is a great way, obviously, uh, to, to get over there and, and actually find out what's going to fit. Uh, you, 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 well, uh, there are people that are, that are kind of tweeners in sizing, right? That, uh, just their body build, uh, maybe they're a medium uh, or a large in one side, and then they have to step up for, for other layers. Uh, so coming in the shop to see that is, is always a great idea to just try things on. Um, but the, the, if you're, if you're going about another way, you know, using the, the fit guides can help. I'm, I'm five, eight. 165 so medium uh, is usually what I wear sometimes in the bottom so I will step up to a large um, just because I've got you know kind of a muscular build on my lower legs I love it and uh, you can find all of their stuff you can it, their website is very very easy you can also stop on archerycountry.com and our website duplicates that as far as what you need where you need but I highly recommend coming into any of our shops and talking to the guys and gals that are using this extensively what products you need because it can be a little bit overwhelming but we can really dissect on where you're going and if you have an out west hunt which must most of us midwest hunters are only going to happen you know every three years or two years unless you're hardcore there's systems for that and we're we're trained and we have a great group of guys and the cool thing is we can always just call chris or we can call dave and say hey i have a gentleman's going on an elk hunt and he's going to endure you know, because especially out west, if you're not happy with the weather, just wait 20 minutes and things can change for you. Absolutely. So uh, the knowledge is here for it. We appreciate you being on, Chris. Uh, if there's any questions, you guys get a hold of us. There'll be a bunch of YouTube videos tied to this podcast and also on our social media pages. You can click, click the link below. But, buddy, I better let you go so you can get back to work. And uh, congratulations on the release of the Equinox Guard and everything in the whitetail. We look forward to another season. And this is something that our listeners are going to like. We're going to have you back on, come right in the heart of the season. May or may not be something that you want to tune into because we may or may not have something that you want to listen to as far as products that are coming out. But, Chris, it's been a pleasure, man. I appreciate it. 
Thank you for having me on. And uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, if you have any questions, be sure to call in the shop. The, the team there is excellent and they can help you be able to navigate and build the right system. That's uh, the perfect one for you. Absolutely. On behalf of everybody at Archery Country Podcast, we'll see you on down the road. Thank you for listening to Archery Country Podcast. 